It's the same one. This isn't what I want. It's not a good roar. I just want the roar now. Ooh, that was a good one. It just sounds like it's snoring. That's an ocelot. Yeah. It sounds like a man. This video is called, <laughs> called Big Cats with Big Catitudes. Alright, what's with this intro? Ooh, that was a good one. Yeah. Welcome back to the Panther Den. Nailed it. <laughs> only it only took us 10 minutes of scrolling through like miscellaneous wildcat videos before we found it. <laughs> only two cubs in the den this time. Um, this is our first show without a guest in a, in a couple in a minute, episodes. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. Um, it feels like weirdly pared down. Yeah. Even though this is the default. This is what we've been doing. Yeah. But, um, you know, I'm kind of glad that, no, we didn't put anyone else through this one. Because um, I felt bad about guarding Tess. Like, I felt bad that, like, four or five people watched that whole movie with me. Um, but I like how you just had to bring everyone down with you. You're like, God damn it, I if know. I have to watch this movie, so do all of you. Yeah, I was like, this is my homework. Sorry. <laughs> Everyone's, like, buzzed, and it's like a Saturday night, but... Uh, we're watching Guarding Tess. But yeah, Trapped in Paradise, 1994, I think, still. Um, yeah. yeah. So I, I know I said this before, but this it was really, really weird watching a Christmas movie in May. Yeah, I'm sure. It was really bizarre. I, I felt it, too. Yeah, especially a movie that, le it, that leans so hard on... I mean, this movie was filmed in Canada during the coldest winter on record up to that point. And, so everyone uh, was miserable. Everyone was miserable. Yeah. Um, the there, I, There's not a lot of... You can kind of sense it. Like, especially John Lovitz just seems like he's not having oh, any fun at all. He's, he's a pro, too. He's, he's, like, doing what he's called on to do, but nothing more. And, I mean, so this was the role that drove Nick Cage away from doing comedies. I can... That's... Apparent. He was, Judging from the development over the last couple ones, yeah. I mean, he was if he can, he maybe they could have squeezed another couple movies out of him, and then he would have just like he died on the vine. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and, and got bored. I think like because you know he tried something new with doing a straight comedy with um, uh, Honeymoon in Vegas, and it was a hit. And then it could happen to you was a hit. Because the thing is, he's not really. With the exception, kind of, of Honeymoon in Vegas, but he's not really funny in any of these movies. No, he's not. He's not. He's uh, uh, he's like a straight man. Yeah. He, and I mean, he he goes. He's still like being wacky and like going over the top, but the tone it, within the tone of the movie, it 
you know, everything is wacky. It doesn't, it's not serving him and he's not really like, I mean, I don't know. Nothing could have helped this movie. It, it seems like everyone was fucking miserable. Dana Carvey. I've never hated Dana Carvey more than I hated him during this movie. His performance is so irritating. Not only is it irritating, it's useless. It serves no purpose in the greater <laughs> like film. What do you mean? Yeah, that was really harsh. I didn't mean. No, it's not. I, I don't think that's unfair. <laughs> but, I mean, everyone's kind of useless in the movie, but he's so broad. And it's so clearly a character. He's as like... Here's the thing, though. Was it written that way? Like, do you think he stepped up and gave them exactly what they wrote? Or do you think that he just phoned it in and it made it even more confusing and, and fall flatter? Well, it seems like the, the, uh, what they're aiming for is like, it's a mad, 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 mad world. And, or, it's a, you know, it's supposed to be like a screwball comedy, gag after gag, and set up and, and things are just moving and there's some of that in the DNA. Like there's like different set pieces. It's like, oh, a car chase with a sleigh or. Dude, it was a thrilling sleigh chase. <laughs> it's kind of the best. Scene. Honestly, it was. It, it was, was though. Scene. It was by far the most entertaining part of the movie. Yeah. Or like the bank robbery, like a bank robbery where they have, he, he, he holds up the bank and he has to go across the street and hold up the other store. Cause that's where the guy is with the key. Like, you know, it's like, that's not, not funny. But also they're, they're marching like a whole crowd of hostages at gunpoint, like across the street and it takes the cops that long. Like no, no one saw them they're do that and call the cops. With shotguns in the middle of the day with like, yeah, with like 50 people at gunpoint. Uh, well, let's let's go through the plot a little bit because uh, I think that that's good and it'll be helpful for me because even though I watched this earlier today, I'm already like my brain is already like excreting it out of my consciousness. So Nick Cage, it opens in Nick Cage. Oh God, I can't even do it play by play. No, so so basically, like Nick Cage's uh, is a the manager of like a fancy restaurant. Oh, right. In right? New York. Yeah. And yeah. his, uh, his brothers get let out of prison. Dana Carvey and John Lovitz. Right. Like the least they would, those three people would never be related to each other. Well, here's the thing. I could kind of see Nick Cage and John Lovitz Maybe. being related, right. but Dana Carvey was adopted. There's no way that <laughs> yeah. he was, he, there's no way he was in that family. And, and his like everything about his personality too. And if, the only thing they, that he and Nick Cage have in common is their like half-assed accents, like New Jersey accents that they're trying to go for. Everything. Was that it? Was it a New Jersey accent? I think, I don't know. I don't know what that was. Anyway, Long so his bro- his brothers get let out of prison. Uh, it was some like it was some petty robbery charge, yeah. and they'd been they they got paroled. Uh, and then as soon as they get back to him, they immediately get him wrapped up in like another con. Yeah. And even before before that, like in the course of the day, John Lovitz's one character trait is that he can't stop lying. He lies about everything. And like compulsively and Dana Carvey's one character trait is that he steals everything. And both of those things are like used as a punchline over and over again. Or well, the lying is, is really just what moves the story forward. They were basically compulsive criminals as clowns. Yeah. Yeah. They just had the one trait that they like kept like, you know, anytime they needed a gag, it's like, Oh, we got him in this mess. Cause he's, 
you know, like Dana Carvey stealing stuff and shoving it in his jacket. Yeah, the there's movie. so many. And I don't know why it got under my skin so much. Like, I don't know if it was just the way. No, Dana I know Carvey's why. Because it, it was a shitty Marx Brothers. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But it's so shitty. Like, so far below the mark. Like, below the marks. Um, <laughs> sorry. I realized that we didn't have like a stupid sidekick to uh, to put that in for me. So it had to be my we, own. We need a we need a sidekick. We, we need should, a Baba Booey. We should put <laughs> we should put out some ads for a sidekick. <laughs> Baba Booey wanted. <laughs> but they can't they can't have any opinion on the film. No, actually, even better, they haven't even seen the film. No, they just comment and interject and based laugh. on right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Okay, anyway. Um, so, yeah. So they're, they're like they robbing. And they immediately get Nick Cage, like, wrapped up in, in this thing by stealing his wallet and dropping it at the scene of what? John Lovitz, like, held up a restaurant and told him it was a sniper or something? Like, what? I, John Lovett staged some crime to get the cops called yeah, on him. I don't remember what it was. It doesn't matter. It's not important. It so this then, because now he's on the run, so uh, Nick Cage and his brothers like flee to Paradise, Pennsylvania. Right. Well, and can I just say, like, there's a reveal about, like, you know, t- 15 minutes to the end of this movie. Like, it's revealed to Nick Cage that his brothers set him up by dropping his wallet at the scene of the crime. But not only is that evident to us because it's so fucking obvious, but it should, it just should be evident to him because they come home, they come back to his apartment with his, his, where he lives with his mother, their mother. And they're like, Oh, the police are after you. Your wallet was found at the scene of this crime where we were, (laughs) you know? And he's like, what? Okay. Time to go. Like, and that's like a moment of betrayal later when he figures out that they set him up. First of all, have you never met these people before your brothers? Like they only have one character trait. Like, and two, how else do you think that would have happened? You didn't drop it there. Anyway, so yeah, they go to Paradise, Pennsylvania, um, because uh, John Lovitz has a letter written by one of their cellmates from prison telling him to get in contact with uh, the cellmate's daughter. For some reason. Who works at a bank in Paradise, bank. Pennsylvania. Which again, okay, so like what what's really happening is the this cellmate has all these stories about his daughter who works at the bank and how easy the bank would be to rob and how he's gonna rob it when they get out. Like when we when this is introduced to us, he's sitting at a table in the cafeteria and they're like, hey, tell that bank story again. Tell us the story about the bank. And he's like, oh, not that again. They're like, aren't you afraid someone else would rob it? He's like, no, no one would ever dare. And that's like, okay, um, that's dumb. But um, so yeah, they on this on this completely superfluous pretext that the movie didn't need, they go down and then they show Nick Cage that the bank is really easy to rob. Like they go in and it's fucking ludicrous. The the security camera has like a <laughs> like a wire, a frayed wire just hanging off of it and and the uh the guard is asleep throughout the whole movie and um things that in the abstract sound like they could be funny, but it just made me irritated. So they meet and speak to his daughter, Sarah at the bank. Right. And then I don't know, they leave some other stuff happens. 
they like meet somebody else. I don't remember exactly. Well, they they leave and Nick Cage is like freaking out. He's like he's like, man, I just I I would. It's a good thing we don't have guns because. I would have robbed that bank, you know, just, like, just making conversation. No, no. It's like, he's like compulsively, he has to rob something. Yeah. Like, like, I guess that's their character. That's yeah, their, their character. And, that, and that's his. Yeah. Right. They all just have one driving <laughs> compulsion. They have like one driving criminal, <laughs> yeah. like severely criminal compulsion. <laughs> Somehow they've stayed like alive and on the right side of the law till now in their lives. When like every waking moment is just taken up with like, they're robbing uh, people or yeah. conning someone. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Cons <laughs> more cons. So it turns out they do have guns cause they, cause, uh, John Lovitz and Dana Carvey borrowed a car from a character named fast Eddie. Wait, where have we heard fast Eddie before in like it- every cartoon with a gangster? Like it's re- no, but it was, they used that name in another Nick Cage movie before. Didn't really? they? Maybe. I feel like we've had this conversation. Fast Eddie. Are we just chasing our tails at this point, though? You mean like the, the like, Nick Cage universe is just Yeah, like, like, am I making up that we've had a conversation about some, like, tertiary gangster in a previous Nick Cage movie named Fast Eddie? It's, I mean, both of those things are possible. It, I, we've talked about so many, like... Um, tropes and so many tertiary <laughs> characters. Okay. So we've seen Point. Fast Eddie before. So anyway, I, in saying the name Fast Eddie, anyone who heard me say that name had like an internal groan. Like we all, we've all seen like Darkwing Duck or whatever. Like you know the, <laughs> I just it that's so that's I wrote it down because it it made me irritated that something that like fucking textbook would be allowed in this movie. But anyway. Fast Eddie's car has, um, in the trunk, it has like, like uh, an arsenal of automatic weapons, right? In like styrofoam cutout, you know, like if you, if you got something from a fancy store and so they robbed the bank and I guess, I guess it's a funny, it could have, there was it the could one have been funny. It was the one scene where already, like I was really struggling with this movie and then like they started to rob the bank and I was like, okay. Like, things are happening, at least. It stopped, like, asking me to accept things that didn't matter um, and started just, like, feeding me some incident. So that was good. Um, I feel like this movie is, like, the a very specific example of a kind of movie that thinks you will only be entertained or thinks you will only think it was funny if you explain everything before the jokes start hitting. (laughs) Yeah. So there's just the first 10 minutes is just like a series of expository scenes and you don't know how to connect them yet. Right. Right. Yeah. And that is really frustrating and off-putting when you come into a movie. It's like you need to get hooked on something first. Right. And then they can break it out from there and explain the like moving parts. Right. Give me a reason to care. Yeah. But it it didn't like it. It's it just kept introducing uh, things that we would need to know later for jokes that weren't even funny. Okay, so they rob the bank, and then the rest of the movie is kind of, it's like them running around, meeting people in the town and realizing that they're perfect, that it's like the town from It's a Wonderful Life, and uh, I don't know, 
Every, and no one knows they were the robbers. Yeah, for like they're like they're like meeting people in the town that either like had something to do with the robbery or like one of the hostages and they but they don't know that those were the guys that like robbed the bank. Right. So they're making these like connections with people in the town while like hiding the secret that they're the robbers. Yeah, like they they literally they show up at the house of the of the guy who owns the bank and they like he he takes them in and they have christmas dinner and they and he's literally like well it's just so good that you three guys are here to take our minds off of the bank robbery that those other three guys <laughs> committed and i just hope we can find them like it, and it, yeah it's just it's insulting it's not even like and you could do that in a funny way or at least in a way that's like so broad that like you know it would be funny to uh, eight-year-old, but this, the movie wasn't, like, the tone of, this is, like, always what I feel like I end up harping on, but the tone of, like, the best scenes of it, which were, like, bank robbery and the sled chase and where their car flips over the bridge and stuff, oh, like, yeah, I forgot about yeah, that. Yeah, like, they were, like, broad... It's like a scene out of Bullet. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, <laughs> It's just like no one knew what they were doing, and I don't even know what to say about it. Is okay. Is this better than Guarding Tess? Is this movie better than Guarding Tess? So Guarding Tess is now our like barometer. For it's my low point. No, well, I, I think mine too. Yeah. But that's why I just want to get on the same page. I think with so. It. So we're agreeing that that's the that's well. Let's let's that's usurped Firebirds. Let's let's the, let's let's feel it out. Okay. Is, is this better than Guarding Tess? Is this film better than Guarding yeah. Tess? Yeah. I mean, better is not the word. That's not the word I would use. Yeah, I would say that generous. this was slightly more engrossing than guarding tests yeah. if for nothing else yes. there were at least some scenes in this movie that for though brief a couple minutes at a time would keep you invested in the scene and right. and, and in the action happening yeah there was which there was almost none of that in guarding tests. no there was more incident in this film the only like real incident that happened in guarding tests is when she got captured <laughs> which happened 20 minutes to, <laughs> to the, the end, end of the movie yeah and then got buried alive like that <laughs> that that in oh that man mo- i totally forgot that that's where they took it that's right yeah. they actually buried her yeah alive. it feels like silence of the lambs or something but yeah, this had more incident, but it's also like, in s- some ways, it's a more inept movie than, or maybe right it's, because they were relying on the incident. Yeah, they were like nothing. Ha- like, no one has to like the characters. Nothing has to make sense because there's gonna be, you know, some some exciting. I don't want to say action scenes. It's not like the Matrix or something, <laughs> but you know, car chases, uh, bank robberies. Right. You know, well, it's like a guarding test for it, all of its flaws was aiming to be highbrow and ended up just being like boring nothingness that shouldn't have existed. And this was aiming to be l- like low to middle brow and just feels like a collection of scenes that uh here's what it felt like it felt like an it felt like an snl movie in which (laughs) like i didn't know i had never seen 
nor seen any cultural references to <laughs> the original sketch that it's based on. Right. But yeah, it, it maybe would have been funnier and held together if you don't. Like if John Lovitz and Dana Carvey's characters were like from like yeah. an SNL sketch. Right. It, that's kind of what it felt like. Yeah. If they were like the Coneheads, it would have been. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, now I'm just imagining Nick Cage, like Nick Cage in Coneheads. Dude, it should have been Tiny Elvis. Should have been the <laughs> his uh, his big Saturday Night Live character. Like Tiny Elvis trapped in paradise would be a much better movie. Yeah. Okay. Is this movie better than Firebirds? No. 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 Weirdly, no. no. It's not. Firebirds was like jingoistic right wing army propaganda, and it was like somehow way more fun than this. Movie. I think it was because of the video game. Yeah, it was the video game sequence yeah. really put it over the top. Um, is there any other low point to compare it to? No, no, no. Firebirds was far and above, or rather far and below, <laughs> the the worst at its time. So yeah. from there now, yeah, it's all yeah. So the it's tied for worst, I think. Yeah, I yeah. think so. Yeah, and I just, like, all of my notes, you can tell how bored I was because my notes, like, these are my notes. Guy, okay, guy in jail always talking about how easy this bank is to rob. Eat dinner at family's house. Everyone's so nice. Romance with Sarah, the daughter. Like, it's like, I was just trying to, like, keep uh, keep enough notes so I wouldn't forget. Right. Um, there is there is something slightly notable, I think, about this film in the context of of uh, Cage's acting choices. And I'll say this: this I think had the most variations in line readings of any yeah. film that he'd done up to this point. Yeah, I, n- I noticed that too. Like he's, he's it, actually he's actually really um, consistent. Yeah. 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 And 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 a lot of his line readings, uh, as inappropriate as it was, had almost like a musical lilting quality mm-hmm. to them. Yeah. Which I hadn't really seen in that. It was almost like a like musical. Yeah. Is, it is was. What I mean to say. Yeah. It, it was. And and like we've seen that that come out before, kind of like scattershot in different roles, and it's felt. It served like a really off the wall character, like in Vampire's Kiss, or more like uh, you know Peggy Sue got married, where you're like, I don't know why you went there, but you went there. And in this, it was almost like the the tonal glue that held this movie together, like because his character's in just about every scene, and he he puts in a consistent performance. Like I feel like. Okay, again, in Firebirds, he looked like he wanted to die. He looked like he did. <laughs> in Guarding Test, he looked like he already was dead. He, he was dead, and no one else knew it. Um, in, in this one, as miserable as... Guarding Tess is just the sixth sense. We, we, don't, <laughs> we don't realize that she's been imagining him the whole time. Yeah, so they, she fucks a ghost. That's, yeah. that's Guarding Tess. Yeah. Dude, see, we've already made okay. We've already made National Treasure three stealing tests <laughs> that much more interesting than the original yeah. guarding test. Somebody really needs to put this in a production. Yeah, okay, so remember when guarding tests when he's watching the, the the like incident happening at the White House and there's like a gunman or something, yeah. and no one else really seems that they're just kind of like, oh, you wish you were there. That's where he was, man. Yeah. That's where he died. And he got um, taken out mm-hmm. and he, and he, uh, and he couldn't, and he couldn't pass on because he had to, 
he had unfinished like yeah and he you had know to, he had to guard Tess. he had to still guard Tess <laughs> and uh and he had to like make peace with that assignment and um then you know she she's so used to him, him being there that uh she's still seeing him and they Remember he he puts in to transfer right. and and she calls him back. Yeah. And says you can't you can't, you can't pass leave. on. Yeah. <laughs> you can't pass on. You have unfinished business. Amazing. Yeah. Let's just remake it. We we'll make the limo driver more crazy. We'll make him like Buffalo Bill and uh we'll make Nick the big reveal be that Nick Cage is a ghost and we'll have an explicit sex scene. <laughs> Them. <laughs> and uh, I guarantee that highbrow audiences will flock to it. Yeah. They'll love it. Yeah. Oh, um, so the mother, I think the, the couple scenes with the mother and the two cons, oh, yeah. that was a funnier and more entertaining trio than, yeah. than the three brothers. Like, I wanted to see more of their the interactions between the three of them. It was still, like, hacky as hacky as this whole movie and and like overdone, but at least like that dynamic was more interesting. That's what it was. Cause the brothers dynamic was just really off putting and irritating. Like again, like I don't know why Nick Cage didn't, he, it's the kind of movie where he wouldn't realize that they set him up, even though that's like their one well, he character doesn't. trait. Yeah, he doesn't. And it's just like, it, I can't even, you know, in a better bad movie, I would be like, Oh, this makes no sense. Why wouldn't he do that? But the the whole world of this movie is so incompetent that I can't even like try and say that. Oh, this is where it fails. That it doesn't it, it doesn't um, make sense in that way because none of the movie. It's just a it, it's just a bunch of excuses for setups for scenes that aren't funny. There's a scene where the horse is. Uh, stuck in the ice they're they're gonna they just I'm sorry gotta... i don't mean to laugh <laughs> it's not about the horse getting stuck that i'm laughing it's about nick cage's reaction to it where he's like oh damn i was about to make my daring escape and like get away scot-free but now i gotta go back and save this horse that we stranded on ice right because they ditch the they, like all of a sudden he has a, a heart of gold for no reason they take a, a take a fucking car. Oh my god! Why a sleigh? Why a sleigh? He just Dana Carvey just shows up. Me 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 and got a sleigh. And the horse named that was actually a fairly accurate impression. Of yeah, it was this movie. <laughs> a horse named Merlin, who they steal and then ditch to get in a car. I don't know why. Why either of those things happened? And then the the sleigh goes starts getting sucked into the the thin ice. And they go back to save him, and um, they do. And then he just runs back. Do they ever? They, then they happens? take the sleigh to like Denny's to this diner. Oh, yeah, right. And that's where it's revealed to Nick Cage that his brother set him up. And it's also he's like, I want to give the money back because. Also, don't they have an APB out for that sleigh? Like how is like like how is that sleigh just gonna pull up to like the diner and they're gonna spend like a leisurely hour and a half inside eating? Yo, let's like, forget too that Nick Cage is wanted for being a part of like a sniper situation in New York. Like the cops aren't looking for him, the feds aren't looking for him. Like the it's so fucking lazy. They just use that to get him out of there without even seeming to think that there are other like elements that you need to take into consider. Like, ugh, I, I would throw my notebook, but I don't want to break something in your house. Thanks. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. Um, 
I honestly can't tell you though how many times I have wanted to break this TV watching some of these movies. <laughs> so I, I understand the impulse yeah, and where I it's mean, coming from. We have Kiss of Death next, which I have no I have no I'm, idea. I'm really psyched for that one Cautiously because optimistic. I have absolutely no clue. I don't know anything about it. I, I'm excited. I know I'm gonna miss comedy when we get into like the really dour uh I like, won't action. <laughs> Because here's the thing, it's gonna come back around again. Yeah, you know, so this is gonna be like the this is gonna be a couple a couple months of us watching like really good movies. Mm, True, and and then it'll just and then the Family Man hits before you know it. Yeah, and then then you're reading about the man behind Captain Corelli's mandolin, having seen Captain Corelli's mandolin. I, um, okay, the last things I want to say about this film are just more gripes. Um, the, it ends with a romance between Nick Cage and the gangster's daughter, but they share like five minutes of screen time together. Played by Shelly from Twin Peaks. Oh, yeah. I feel bad for her. Um, (laughs) What, that she had to go from that to this? Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. And so the the three brothers give the money. They find, they have dinner with the family and try and make an argument that, having money get stolen from the bank would be good for the town. Also, again, like no one questions that. He's like, just for the sake of argument. And, um, the bank owner, was that James Cromwell or, uh, no, he looked like a famous dude. Anyway, he's like, well, no, actually we usually don't have that much money, but all the town gives a few dollars, the few dollars they can spare to go towards what, to like feeding orphans or something. Like all of a sudden he's an ethical banker. Yeah. No, the whole movie is about how like small banks. Like we're just predicated. Like the entire thing we're, we're led to believe that bankers are the, uh, people with a heart of gold, the linchpin of the the community, the community. Yeah. Right. (laughs) So they end up giving the money, not back to the bank, but to the church. They give it to a, a minister, a reverend who we have never seen on screen before. When the cops, the feds kindly finally like come down on, on the brothers, then, uh, the town is like, nope, that wasn't them. We like those guys now, but none of that's earned. Like their relationship, no, no one should like them. And even if they do kind of like them, they haven't spent enough time with them to like want to bail them out of being fucking robbers. I think also it's weird. The basically, it turns into a story of like a small town rising up to stop the man and like, and like save the local heroes, which yes. somehow they knew were the perpetrators of the crime originally. Yeah. But they kept lying. Right. And yeah. And the, the man being, the- but like, why would your whole town protect these cackling doofuses exactly. who robbed the who bank. robbed your bank and then we're like actually you're nice uh, okay and who are those two characters who like ran the store like the the <sighs> that was a whole plot line that doesn't they didn't even need to and there was a character who uh they would have gotten where they got without the exactly. with, without that side plot and it, it occupied way too much screen time there's a character who i think they describe as mentally retarded do the, they? Oh, uh, I don't. Oh, you, you know who I'm talking about. Yeah, the, the guy that falls off the horse. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's and they're right. like, he's kind of slow, and he ends up shooting a policeman. Maybe. I think this movie would make a good double feature with Amos and Andy. Yeah, and I'll and I'll tell you because I they're they're both 
like really convoluted comedy of errors mm -hmm. that have uh that like bring uh like multiple interlocking storylines together and right. then they end up getting trapped in a house that climaxes in like a police holdup <laughs> or like like a right. like a cli like a climactic like standoff with the cops right I I would like to see like a mashup of the two movies. I think you could take the take things from each movie and put them together to make something better and weirder than either. Least, than yeah, either absolutely. Movies. Amos and Andy at least had a message. I mean, it was not. It was problematic, but it, it at least like I don't know. Like, why does this movie exist? Who is this movie for? They needed a movie for the Christmas market, I yeah. think, is the reason. Honestly, I think that's the reason it exists. Actually, here, I, I've got a couple of, uh, of reviews, of um, contemporary reviews. Here's one. Trapped in Paradise may well be the worst Christmas movie since 1964's Santa Claus Conquers the Martian. Z Kevin Thomas wrote bluntly in the Los Angeles Times. Wait, are we really going to argue that Santa Claus versus the Martians would be like less enjoyable to watch. Yeah. Than I'd, this. Wa I'd watch that 10 times rather than watch this movie. Um, it holds its audience hostage for an unconscionable 111 minutes with a rambling, unfunny, thickly sentimental comedy that plays like third rate Frank Capra. As bad as it is, it's understandable that players of the caliber of Nicolas Cage, John Lovitz, and Dana Carvey became involved because, by and large, their parts are well written. Nope, and because of the film's because at the film's core is a viable idea. Nope. No. Unfortunately, writer director George Gallo allows his essentially simple story to wander quite literally all over the countryside, piling it on with needless digressions and failing to make any of them more than faintly amusing. Um, fair or unfair? Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, best, the best review that I got was from Dessen Howe of the Washington Post. Um, and I, I like this. He... Uh, a heist caper, they get Nicholas Cage, John Lovitz, and Dana Carvey get lost in a snow flurry of subplots and formulaic run and chase right around the time you've settled in for a good comedy. But these three noodle heads are so endearing, it seems wrong to dismiss the whole thing. That, my friends, is what video rentals are for. Trapped in Paradise is the kind of movie you want to watch. Fast forward button at hand. You never know when something funny is coming along. So that's like the faintest, most backhanded praise yeah. of, that I've, I've ever heard in a movie review. This movie, it, if you rent it from a movie store and are willing to like, I don't know, like, like what, what were the scenes that he was like, yep, that's worth the rental, you know, like the sleigh chase, the ho a that's horse, it, probably. that's it. That's the one thing. Do you know of any movies that take place during Christmas time that aren't Christmas movies? Gremlins? Yeah. 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 I couldn't. I actually didn't even think of Gremlins. That's my only one. I can't. I mean, I can't really think of any. I yeah. feel like if you're setting your movie at Christmas, 
Like you just it have to, to be prepared to somehow weave the themes of Christmas into your film. <laughs> Except they they don't talk that much about Christmas in this movie, but they talk a lot about the winter festival. <laughs> Some kind of weird, like Stonehenge pagan. <laughs> like he he stumbles, so it becomes the Wicker yeah, Man. Yeah, because the Wicker Man stumbles into some small. Par- <laughs> Welcome to Paradise, Pennsylvania, <laughs> but it harbors a really dark secret. <laughs> Again, sounds like a much better movie. <laughs> Like they, when they hold up the bank and there's that weird old lady and she's like, but, but, but you don't want to do this now. It's the winter festival. <laughs> um, all right. All right. Any, anything else to say about that? No, I think we're done. All right. Um, should we finish up the, the travel journal journal? Oh yeah. We still have that. Don't we? We do. Yeah. Let's do it. Okay. Uh, you'll recall that. Uh, last time, this is again the travel journal that Nicolas Cage wrote for Details Magazine in 1991 about his uh, trip, uh, Jack Kerouac style, to the heart of America. Um, in the last entry, uh, he and his friend went to the White Sands National Monument and got in a fist fight for no reason because it was a, a place that was good for fighting. Because it was a beautiful view. <laughs> if I recall correctly, he's like. <laughs> He's like, I walked to the top of the mountain and like took in the view and it made me want to fight. <laughs> Which is great. Hold. Dave's smoking weed right now. For those of you listening at home. Trying. Here, use this other lighter. Got it. Okay, cool. Shout outs to K Chung for the, <laughs> the shitty lighter. <laughs> for the shitty lighter. <laughs> it's got a bottle opener though. It's pretty good. Okay, On the Road with Nicolas Cage, Austin, Texas. You're going to like this. I am not a demon. I am a lizard, a shark, and a heat-seeking panther. This is where it comes from. This is the origin this of heat-seeking panther. This is the origin panther. of it. I didn't even know that. So, so that seems to have been a theme in his life that he then brings back, right? Maybe. Well, I, I had just read this quote. But I didn't know where I thought it. I figured it was from an interview, right? But um, but it's from it, but it's from it's his from details magazine. Okay, it's, I'm not a demon. I'm a lizard, a shark, and a heat-seeking panther. I mean, that's fantastic. I am one watt above darkness. <laughs> I am a glow-in-the-dark roller. Co- I did. <clears throat> I got to read this all. I can't, I can't keep breaking up because this is poetry. I am not a demon. I am a lizard, a shark, and a heat-seeking panther. I am one watt above darkness. I am a glow-in-the-dark roller coaster. I am a hard-on. <laughs> I, I want to be John Denver on acid playing the accordion. I want to drink Jack Daniels while driving my Corvette off the Grand Canyon. I am the frog you never kissed. I am a sinner looking for some peace. I believe in the sword that gives life. I am a family man and a bachelor. I don't believe in God, but I'm afraid of him. So I'll pray. Dude. Family man. Okay. That was beautiful. It's beautiful. Also, alternatively, could read as like grunge lyrics, yes, like like a Soundgarden song. <laughs> I'm a glowing dark roller coaster. 
<laughs> we should put that to music. Yeah, okay. We should really do that. <laughs> it's eight o'clock and it's Saturday night. I've checked into a hotel, tipped the bellboy, and gotten a shoe shine. <laughs> I'm back in the big city. Jeff and I walk down East 6th Street to a club called Maggie Mays. I've been here once before when I was shooting an awful movie called Firebirds. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, shit. Calls him out. Calls him out. And I met a few great guys who were training to fly Apache helicopters for the role. Chief Warren Officer E.J. McKeska and Bill Lee. They brought me here. And though it's been a couple years, I was hoping I might run into them again. Dazed and confused is playing as we enter Maggie May. <laughs> Zap. People keep buying me drinks. One is called a Jello shot, which is strawberry Jello made with vodka, rum, and whiskey. Wait. Whoa. First of all, in 1991, you had to explain what Jello shots were. And second of all, it's made with <laughs> all three of those hard alcohols. It's so gross and unnecessary. Man, the, the life of a movie star on the road, huh? I'm starting to feel flushed and just a little dizzy. On the way out of the club, chanting, I am sleek and self-contained. I run into the pilots I mentioned earlier. We were all pretty astonished to see each other. They were throwing a going away party for some of their fellow soldiers. Somehow I found myself in a limousine and wind up at the Yellow Rose. If you want to see the finest burlesque, it here. It, it here. So is the 82nd Airborne, a group of jet fighter pilots just back from Saudi Arabia. One of the guys, the one with the silver star, asked me to sign an autograph. I feel silly considering he is the real thing. I introduce the jet po fighter pilots to the attack helicopter pilots. At once, I witness friendly rivalry. I sincerely admire this group of guys, but I know I could never be one of them. We look and dress and talk differently, and I know we think differently. I could never enlist in the military. I cannot be one voice in a group that sounds the same. In a lot of ways, the military speaks for my generation. This was true, too, during Kerouac's time, after the Korean War. The beatniks came up in opposition to Eisenhower's constipation. And even now, back in L.A., ooh, got a phone call. <clears throat> even now, back in L.A., coffee houses are opening, trying to rekindle the beatnik flame. He must be talking about Jabberjaw. But these things have already been done, and their points have already been made. So where is the alternative generation for the 90s? I have a theory. Back in LA, there is a super fringe group called Modern Primitives. They experiment with adorning the sexual organs and other body parts with rings and tattoos. There is a club called Club Fuck that caters to them. I've seen women with their tongues pierced, love slaves into sadomasochism, and homosexuals, most of whom have some kind of fetish, like vinyl or leather. This group is not the future, but there's something about their spirit that dances a wild locomotion. They're sexual outlaws in strict times, playing close to the fire, not worrying about getting burned. They're full-throttle anarchists with their bodies, but still they demand their rights. And... Dig this. If you must put a label on me, which I know you can't do, even if you tried super hard, <laughs> I, I I dare you try super hard. <laughs> Just try to label me. 
I suppose I'd be a kind of modern primitive because I believe in rights. <laughs> Wait, that's how it ends? <laughs> no, he's, he's, that's where it ends he spells up? It, he spells it R-I-T-E-S, though. Like, Ugh. this culture has no other ritual other than the bar mitzvah that initiates us into manhood. I got tattooed when I became a man. I needed one instinctively. Tattoo of a frog with a top hat, uh, mind you. Yes, a, a lizard with a top hat and cane. I, don't, I didn't know why, but on reflection, I knew I was leaving the nest. I wanted to claim my body, but enough of that. At the end of the night, I bring the party back to my hotel and find myself paying for every room on my credit card. This is not very slick and self-contained of me. Oh, boy. Okay, On the Road with Nicolas Cage, New Orleans, Louisiana. I came out here about six years ago because I wanted to experience Mardi Gras. I saw at the end of Easy... Because I wanted to experience the Mardi Gras I saw at the end of Easy Rider. Instead, I saw streets of short-haired preppies high on crack, making noise and starting fights. Fight, a man being served up blowjobs from different guys on the street. What? (laughs) Here's a (laughs) blowjob. One for you and one for you. I saw naked women everywhere. It did not seem like the Mardi Gras in Easy Rider. (laughs) But that was the 60s, and the drugs are different now. I admire New Orleans because it demands you drink and have sex and still manages to function as a city. Somehow its soul only becomes more beautiful the more debauched it gets. Our last night on the road begins at the Tropical Isle Bar, where we have some, quote, hand grenades, drinks made of 109-proof gem-clear grain alcohol. I do not recommend them. This is real Dennis Hopper courage juice, Jeff says. From the other end of the joint, I hear some barfly grunt. What the world needs now is a malfunction. At, a, at around 4.15 a.m., we hit the Dungeon, a bar that looks like Aleister Crowley's inner sanctum. There is a devil's head behind the bar that moves every time I turn away. I'm not sure if I'm seeing things or if the head moves mechanically. Before long, we meet a local named Buddy. He looks like the kind of guy who would drive a stretch magenta, a stretch magenta 74 Cadillac and wear sunglasses. Wow, sun- you really... Sp- pegged him very specifically and wear sunglasses in the bathtub (laughs) you ever understand a woman you've gone nuts is the first thing he says (laughs) sounds like a cool guy so he's basically just inventing characters that he thinks would be in a dennis hopper movie and or are acting like he thinks dennis hopper would act both yeah I, i think he's like yeah he's like hunter s thompson in his mind um the girl tending bar is aaron She's a photographer, and she looks slightly out of place. Why'd you move to New Orleans, I ask. For the horror, she replies. Some girls from another club we visited earlier come in. One was named Lisa Marie. Wait, no way. It can, no way. No way. Because he, he, he marries Lisa Marie Presley later in his life, but uh, she's named Lisa Marie. She had the face of an angel, a smile of sin. This is the only city I know where you can get drunk nonstop. There is no law here at two o'clock which tells you to cool it. The effects are mind-bending and a little devastating. I can only think that if I lived in New Orleans, I would probably die. Dude. He bought a house there. He bought a haunted house there. I know. 
and his career died. So this is like th- this trip. Was this the beginning of his like New Orleans of of New Orleans pulling him into its vortex? I guess so because he'd been there earlier for Zandali, right? Isn't that? Yeah, that's yeah, New Orleans. Yeah, that's right. But um, yeah, or I, this was actually this is ninety one, so this is right around that time. Yeah, it's pulling him in to die spiritually. I want to get out. I've had enough of this. I want to go home before I blow up. I desperately want to be with my son. Christ, why is life so complicated? Why can't I just be married and have it work? The whole country is pro-family. There is a baby boom, and there are movies left and right about marriage. Am I the wrong man for the role? I want simplicity, tradition. I want to be married, yet I'm terrified of divorce. He wants to be a family man, dude. The following morning, I found an old fortune teller shop in the French Quarter. I thought I might find a kernel of wisdom with which to end my trip. My prophet looked nothing like what I had expected. She was a hippie throwback who wouldn't allow herself to touch money with her own hands. She believed in animal rights and had a pet wolf that confided was that confided was her brother. I, I don't know what that means. When she read my palms, she told me that there were too many people pulling at me from each side. You must be more confident in your own opinions. Do not listen to these people. No need to be with water. Go to the water. What? I'm sorry, can you repeat that? Do not listen to these people. No need to be with water. Go to the water. We went to Cafe Du Monde for breakfast. We had the famous beignet. Oh, God. We had the famous beignet and chicory coffee. Then we went for a walk down Decatur Street to the aquarium. I just wanted to look at something beautiful. I needed this. And he was probably missing cool. (laughs) Just thinking about cool uh, swimming in the urinal back at his house. (laughs) What do you think happens? Okay, you know how like when people, when they don't want to pet anymore, they just like put it outside (laughs) or they leave it somewhere? Octopuses. Like, where do you think he, like, when he had to get rid of cool, where do you think he, like, released him into the wild? Did he just take him to the beach and, like, throw him into the tide? (laughs) He probably flushed him, dude. Octopuses can go through really tight spaces. Cool is probably still living in the sewers of Los Angeles, like, feeding on rats. Some kind of enormous mutated octopus <laughs> yeah. just terrorizing the, the underground of L.A. Him, him and uh, Nick Cage's eels just swimming around. Okay, last entry. Los Angeles, California. Jeff and I leave the car in New Orleans and fly home. I'm tired and images of the road softly flicker in my head. I hope Andre Taylor has found some new signs to paint. What is that? Is that an L.A. thing? Some other guy he made up. (laughs) Maybe I'll offer him a job painting in my son's room if he really wants to get out of 29 Palms. I can see black eyes smiling. Oh, he was was the dude with the arrows. That's right, yeah. I can see black eyes smile when he said, you're all right. That was the the ditch digger um, who uh, wanted to kill him. That one moment made me feel like I had received an outlaw's degree, a degree that says I'm still one of them, still human, that I'm not opposed to stealing if I need to feed my family. These people are not to be classified into some art house movement. There is no movement on the road, no beatniks, no hippies, no punks, no modern primitives, 
No neat labels. I don't think Kerouac was looking for a label. His journey was about finding passion for life and doing things your way. When you get out into America, you can see that. Maybe that's better. I disconnected my phone and drifted off to sleep. That night I dreamt I was back at White Sands National Monument. A beautiful blonde girl was fucking me in the sand. There were hyenas surrounding us. At the moment of climax, the blonde took a gun from behind a rock and blew my head off. I didn't die. Dude, what kind of insane like Luis Buñuel dreams is he having? Yeah. Like what what is that tableau that he just described? I've never dreamed anything like that in my life. That sounds as realistic as all the people he met on the road. You know, uh, at the moment of climax, the blonde took a gun from behind a rock and blew my head off. I didn't die. I turned into a hyena and started laughing. Stop. I joined my animal brothers and ran into the desert, leaving her. We were laughing as we ran. The end. That's just how it ends? That's the end. So how many installments did this appear in the in details? In one. This oh, is, this okay. This is all one. Just, just one article. Yeah, but um, it's, it's too much to digest oh, in yeah. one sitting. Um, thoughts? That's cool. Yeah, yeah it's... It, like, I mean, it was, it was really cheesily written, and, like, right. some of it was, like, hacked up, and it was obvious that he was writing a fictional story as opposed to most... I mean, I don't deny that they probably went somewhere. Yeah, they did, and right. I'm sure like some of those inc- like incidents were based in right. reality. But he, you know how you really get your outlaw degree by lying in a magazine, yeah, embellishing. And you truth. know what? It was a compelling read. It was or yeah. listen. I guess I didn't yeah. actually read it, but you know. I mean, yeah, I was never bored. There was stuff even when they w- never got out of Cabazon, <laughs> when they stayed stayed in Southern California for, for like, like half two of it. weeks. Yeah. It's weird because it, it human, this humanizes him to me in a way that none of the other stuff has. Like he really seems like a geeky teenage boy yeah. still. And like all the things he thinks are cool and his worldview are like, you know, he's, he's really like leaning into it. And it's like simultaneously like it's cheesy and, um, you know, over the top, but I wish that there was an equivalent to this. Like Shia LaBeouf wishes that, you know, he had this, this kind of like compelling weirdness, I think. Cause Nick Cage doesn't seem do. I mean, maybe he's a little douchey, but it, it's endearing to me. And yeah, I, I feel like you really do get the sense of this arrested man, child, kind of like uh, dealing with uh, the fact that he's a movie star and not like, you know, not even an outlaw movie star anymore. So this is like, this is when he was trying to go mainstream. Right. Well, next time uh, I have something to read about when Nick Cage romanced Patricia uh, Arquette his um, which is a whole thing turns out um, they're they're wooing and courtship and eventual marriage uh, has a lot of weirdness to it so but I think that's probably it for this episode huh 
Yeah. 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 There's, I don't have anything else to say. Yeah. Emily will be back next time for kiss of death. She cool. really wants to see it. And, uh, yeah. Thanks for stopping by the Panther den. <laughs> I am not a demon. I am a lizard, a shark and a heat seeking Panther. sounds demonic it does it sounds like a human it's like the exorcist totally oh yeah